Chapter 21 The Winnower Rass strolled through the city of Calum, a ghost among a population that would never notice his visit. Children played in the streets, men and women dined in restaurants, not knowing the next time they would find themselves living in equilibrium with the rest of the world. Everyone in the city craned their necks, looking up to the sky as they had for the past century, probably wondering why the alteration of day and night was flashing about them in a strobe pattern. Rass assumed it was the only hint to them that something was amiss. Does she even want me to save her? She placed herself in a situation he couldn't grapple up to her or fly the brass fox high enough to jump down to her. He didn't want anyone else on Freezing Cali hundreds of years from now, if not thousands. It was his job, and so far he had been able to fulfill his duties. Imagining not figuring out a solution until he was a geriatric scared him, and an 80-year-old Rass popping in behind her on the jet cycle probably wasn't what she had envisioned. Rass knew if he didn't have a plan that would end the war with Atmo intact, she would just find another way to refreeze herself, this time with resentment. He couldn't free the elders with Callie's power and effect, but he probably could do some damage to the winnower, which might be enough to convince Callie not to insist on being the lone wrench in the collective's gear work. Rass just needed another wrench. Or a gun. Dr. O's gun. The technology had brought down a dreadnought, and the winnower couldn't be so much different. Rass sprinted back in the general direction of the Brass Fox, exiting the metropolis of Calum. Miles later, he arrived at a ship, hopelessly out of breath. A clanking sound repeated in the hold. Dad? The clanking stopped and Elias walked out, sweaty and covered with grease. Sorry, I was just fixing the windstrider. I didn't hear the jet cycle pull up, he said, trailing off. What happened? She picked the third option, Rass said. She stopped them. All of them. Elias stepped out of the hold, looking back toward the fleet. That wasn't the plan. I'm getting her back. You're going to unfreeze the collective? Elias asked. I'm going to save Callie. Where's Carter? He went back to his ship, Elias said. How exactly are you going to rescue her? I'm going to need an elder, Rass said, walking past his father and up to the helm. The gauges on the engines read that enough energy had finally filtered into the air to make the windstrider scoops usable once again. Let's see if we can't reach a willing party, Rass said, lifting the comm unit. Attention, any Elorian craft on this frequency, this is the Reclaimer. I need a lift. Over. The comm crackled back. Reclaimer? That's a myth. Who is this? The voice had a familiarity to it, but wasn't Carter. He couldn't pin it. Erasmus Veer. Who is this? Over. The voice changed to another familiar tone. Rass, you made it. Hal, send me your coordinates. I'll be right down. A youthful laughter erupted, then looped and sped up until Rass smacked the machine. Elias ascended the steps up to the bridge. Rass read from his instrument panel and received confirmation from Hal. So why do you need an eldership? Elias asked. Tropo-capable flight. He can probably get me higher than Callie's bubble and drop me down. Rass smiled and then ran to the quarters and returned with Dr. O's gun, tucking it into his waistband. The kingfisher descended from high above, settling easily next to the brass fox. Its ramp extended and the procession of crew covered in an elder attire was led by a clockwork giant who Rass assumed to be Hal. He stopped, halting everyone on the ramp. It's good to be home, he said. Used to be greener. The veers disembarked, meeting Hal's entourage between the two vessels. At the sight of Elias, Hal exclaimed and threw his arms wide. It worked! Elias nodded. Sorry it took so long. For as long as I've been trying, a decade is a trifle. Where's my grandson? Hal asked. Grandson? Morris is badly hurt, Elias said. He'll need attention immediately after unfreezing. Hmm. Where is Callie? Hal asked. She stopped the war, Rass said. Hal looked back at the collective fleet hovering over Calum. You let her alone this close to the time origin? Hal's rage flared through the speakers on his suit. She left me, sir, and I need your help getting her back. You'd save her and restore your greatest enemy? Hal asked. I would, Rass said. Excellent. 
Best deal with him now rather than later. Callie won't let me unfreeze Calum. I'd rather you not, actually. Not yet. The Council is still likely set on ravaging the rest of the world. Gives me a chance to talk to what's left of the Elorian nation. I'd wager their blood has cooled since the Clockwork War. If I can reclaim Callie, I can disrupt the Winnower's energy intake and damage its engines. It should slowly sink after that. Not if I can convince the rest of the Elders to see past our differences and move to sever its balloons, Hal said. A fall like that should be sufficient to render it inoperable. You can get them to do that? Elias asked. I've had a speech prepared for a long, long while, and I can be quite persuasive, Hal said. Plus, I'm the only member of the Council left unfrozen. That should help. Once again aboard the Kingfisher, Rass watched the ground and the brass fox shrink beneath him. Why didn't you tell Callie she was a Lorian? Rass asked Hal, who took off his helmet and looked back plainly at him. I told her she was a time knack, Hal said. I assumed she would discover the rest when she saw the train. So you basically didn't want to tell her she was over a century old. A woman's age is a sensitive subject, is it not? Hal asked, then chuckled. Every Elorian knows about the children's past, so I send wind merchants in to collect air, keeping me alive and thinning out the cave. Until one day the train made it through to the other side? Exactly. Deus took it upon himself to find homes for each child among Atmo parents, Hal said. Little did we know being frozen for such a long time had its side effects on young children. The headaches? Rass asked. Hal nodded. Is that why she was moved to Ferdent? Deus thought it was wise to keep her as far away from the time origin as possible, Hal said. It was a fortunate thing that she lived so close to the Reclaimer. A Reclaimer, Rass said, but go on. The rest of the children weren't so lucky, Hal said gravely. Did you know my father survived? A decade ago I received his coordinates, Hal said. At best, I felt it would bring you closure if he had passed. At worst, I would have received my tank of air and maybe lived long enough to see the world put right. A slight smile played across his lips. You've gone above and beyond, Erasmus. Above and beyond, indeed. The Kingfisher ascended higher than the Winnower, higher than the Collective Fleet, to a dizzying altitude, and Rass fought his old foe as waves of nausea lapped up to the shores of his mind to remind him he wasn't completely cured. Deus returned to the room carrying bundles of ropes and a pair of thick leather gloves and handed them to Rass. And how will ropes keep you safe? Hal asked. As long as I can feed it out of my bubble, it anchors in time and I can lower myself down to her, Rass said, after I fall a bit. I don't envy your trip. Rass stepped out of the bay, his shoulders swaddled in rope. He removed one coil and readied it. A voice over the intercom spoke. Sir, we are in position. Rass donned his goggles and gave a thumbs up. The bay opened and the wind wailed in. Next time, Rass shouted, just tell me my dad is alive. Next time, Hal said. Rass shut his eyes and gave in to gravity. The collective fleet looked like miniatures from this height. Although he saw thin strips of contrails crisscrossing the sky beneath him, he had no way of telling which one was his jet cycle from the altitude. He knew he had entered Callie's bubble when the wind no longer moved to meet him. As he flew through trap sound, it sped up before him and slowed down behind him, coming alive, briefly greeting him upon his arrival, and dying with his departure. He readied the first coil of rope as he slipped past the highest ships of the collective fleet. There. Only one contrail angled toward the fleet from Calum. He thought he could almost spot the red speck of Callie's hair. Rass let the end of the rope feed out above him by just a little. The top caught the edge of his bubble, jerking him from his fall until it promptly snapped, not capable of supporting his weight at such a speed. He dove past another set of fighters amidst a few green frozen beams aimed at the remainder of the Elorian fleet. Rass uncoiled more rope, which froze above him, and his gloves slid along its surface, heating his hands until they reached the end of the rope slipped from his grasp. He re-entered free fall. He was approaching Callie far too quickly. The rope trick wasn't panning out as he had imagined. His fall slowed slightly, but if he didn't think of something, he would soon reach terminal velocity. He needed something more substantial. 
Elias's jacket. Rast spun as he tussled with his father's coat, freeing all but his right arm. He let the long and heavy tail of the coat catch the wind and create drag as it tattered against the fringe of his bubble. The coat began shredding but slowed his descent, and even afforded him a stop about fifty feet above her. He fired his grapple gun into the sky directly above him, anchoring the cable into time. He released his right arm from the coat, letting the tattered fabric hang above him. Spooling cable out, he lowered himself. On approach, he could see what under normal circumstances would have been the blue of Callie's eyes. His calculation had been slightly off, and he found himself five feet to her left. He swung himself back and forth until he snapped the cable and landed on the back of the jet cycle. Wrapping his arms around her, he immediately tightened his grasp around her midsection as the world rocketed back to life and the jet cycle shot forward. I've been meaning to ask you what it's like to keep getting younger than me, Ras said. She started. What are you doing? Despite your best efforts, I'm keeping a promise. He reached up, placing his hands over hers on the handlebars. You just saved the collective, she said. Rass had the brief thought of Callie throwing herself off the jet cycle and tightened his grip on the controls. Short-term side effect, he said. You remember Dr. O's gun? We're going to disable the winnower. If I keep doing this, Callie said, using her newly freed hands to cradle her head, it's going to kill me. I won't let that happen. Rass said, turning the jet cycle around and staying well above Calum. From behind, the brass fox zoomed toward them with Elias at the helm. The vessel dodged fire from capital ships, pulling up parallel with the jet cycle. Rass slid the vehicle into the open bay door of the moving target and cut the engines as the hold swallowed them. Rass disengaged the jet cycle's engine. The machine fell to the floor of the hold before sliding into the back wall next to the repaired Windstrider engines. Rass and Callie left the bay and made their way up to the bridge. Elias flew like a madman, chasing down the winnower. Glad you both could join us, Elias said, bobbing and weaving, the ship fully under his command. The brass fox passed the last of the collective's vessel, and Rass realized their Helios engines were stunted by the addition of energy on the wind. Without a cloud layer to keep the element down, the fleet had become reliant on their underpowered backup scoops. The winnower approached the time origin, which tinted the sky purple. The crystal structure jutted out from the ground, humming a low-frequency throb. Rass watched the surrounding ships creep along through the sky. He leaned into Callie and asked, Is it just me, or are things slowing down even more? You might want to share that with your dad, Callie said before leading Rass by the hand up to Elias. As they approached the bridge, Elias stared in surprise. How did you just run like that? Rass placed his hand on his father's shoulder, bringing Elias into his sphere. Being a lack has its privileges. The weapons on the winnower roared to life, firing shots at the Kingfisher and the last survivors of the Elorian fleet as they swarmed around the station's many balloons. When it became apparent that firing at the close-quarters combatants would more likely do the Elorian's work of puncturing its balloon systems, it focused on the one long-distant target, the Brass Fox. With Elias's heightened reaction time, cannonball trajectories were easy to predict and avoid, but energy beams tested Elias's pilot ability as the airship closed the gap moments away from being able to land on the winnower's surface. A sickening green light flashed where the front of the brass fox used to be. The foredeck vaporized as the momentum of the aft carried the remainder on a collision course with the side of the winnower. Elias did all he could to steer half of his son's ship to no avail. Rass held tight to Callie and shouted at his father to hold on to him. He fired off the grapple spike into the nearest balloon of the winnower as the brass fox fell away underneath him, smashing hard into the side of the floating city before falling to the deep below. The crash resonated deep within Rass as he swung forward. All of the time and love spent on his ship and she was gone in an instant. He wished he had time to mourn her, but they passed over the main deck of the winnower and struck the large glass dome covering most of the city's top. He released the cable and the trio slid down the dome's side until they bowled into the first line of an armed troop of awaiting guards. The trio spun and Elias fell away from Rass, then Callie. The wind merchant collapsed to the ground, rolling a few times before fully stopping. Callie! Rass called out, but the name hung hollow as all sound once more deadened around him. He looked up to spot Callie, stuck mid-roll and overloaded.
Rast took his cue to begin the process of single-handedly disarming fifty men, one at a time. It took nearly ten minutes to rip away all of the weapons and toss them over the side of the station, where they hung in the air. He then secured half a dozen pistols for Elias and himself. Rast returned to Callie and knelt beside her fallen form. He reached out his hand, but stopped just before touching her. This was the calm before the storm. As soon as he broke the spell, they would have to keep moving, and he didn't know if they would ever stop again. This needed to be her last overload. With the musket in his right hand, he cradled her head with his left. The sound of wind returned, and carried on it were the grunts and shouts of confusion from the guards. Rass waved his pistol at the unarmed men. Back off. With a sufficient radius cleared, he looked down to Callie. Are you alright? No, she said and pulled herself to her feet. We're so close to the origin I can barely think straight. She tightened her grip on his hand, standing as close as possible to his island of stability. Dad? Rass asked, pulling Callie over and joining the man wielding a pair of pistols with more tucked into his belt. Put your hand on my shoulder. Elias obliged and stared at the field of sluggish guards. I still don't get this. Rass moved toward a set of stairs that ten more guards were ascending, armed. He pulled the wrench from his holster. Follow me as best you can, Dad. I'll be right back. With Callie in tow, Rass strode forward with Wrench at the ready to confront the new threat. The first guard's rifle emitted a spark of smoke, alerting Rass to sidestep the musket ball's trajectory before it entered his bubble. A swift upswing of the wrench dislodged the rifle from the lead guard's grasp, bending the barrel. Rass connected with a wrench to the man's side, swatting him out of the way, then dealt with the next guard, who was just reaching the top of the stairs. Rass threw the wrench, letting it slowly sail away to strike the next man squarely in the sternum. The guard was sent drifting backwards into the eight following men with little to stop their glide until they hit the bottom stair. Slipping on the knack visions, Rass surveyed the glowing engines among the teeming network of pipes and devices vying for his attention. Eight engines. Each probably has its own intake, Rass said. He pulled up the goggles and saw his father aiming both pistols back at the dozens of guards ready to charge. In a few short strides, Rass once more introduced Elias to equilibrium. The trio headed back toward the stairs, careful not to entangle themselves with the men still tumbling backwards. Rass reached over to collect the wrench still hanging in the air and holstered it. Once inside the winnower, Rass increased his pace. The faster he moved, the more of a blur he was to the men in dark blue uniforms. I hate to be a spoil sport, but what's our escape plan? Elias asked, struggling to keep a hand on his son. We could just ride this thing to the ground, Callie said. For as much as the origin slows everyone down here, I can't imagine the fall would be too bad. Rass stopped at an intersection, spotting men in uniform alert to their presence and giving chase as best they could. We'd starve before it touches ground. He searched the area. Anyone let me know if you spot a stairwell. Don't feel like riding the elevator from now until eternity? Elias asked. Do you? Not particularly. They continued forward and Rass traced the courses of energy with the knack visions to a reinforced door with what looked like a dead area behind it. Stairs? Rass tugged on the door's handle. It budged slightly, but not fully under his influence. The hinges protested and the guards were closing in. Callie, hold on, Rass said, putting her hand on his neck before he flattened himself against the door. He placed his right hand and foot near the hinges while working the handle with his left hand, then awkwardly pushed off with the remaining foot. The door gave way quickly, swinging open. If we make it out of this, can we make sure that part is omitted from the story? Rass asked. I think everyone will love the door-hugging part, Callie said. Rass made a face but was thankful she seemed more herself. Taking her hand once more, he took two steps forward into a dimly lit room and almost doubled over the railing of a spiral staircase before Elias's grip on his shoulder kept him from falling. Easy now, Elias said. I know it's a lot of stairs, but you don't get to take the shortcut. Thanks. The goggles confirmed they had many flights to go before reaching the engines. The trek back up didn't excite him. After half a dozen floors passed, something caught the corner of Rass's eye. Movement. A man in a white lab coat stood on the stairs above them on the other side of the shaft, staring at Rass. Anyone else remember passing him? Rass asked. So this is your world? The scientist asked in a voice just slightly slower than normal. Marvelous.
What do you mean, my world? Ras asked. Ras, we should go, Elias said, encouraging his son forward with a gentle push. This equilibrium. It took us a while to unlock its potential, but here we are. He bowed slightly. I thank you. Ras quickened his pace. Whatever the Collective had taken from him wouldn't benefit them if they couldn't control time. With nobody else in the stairwell to oppose them for the next thirty floors, they exited through a door already being held open by an engineer. Rash shoved the unsuspecting engineer back as they passed through the threshold. The corridor was full of men in jumpsuits, gathered at portholes and staring out at the time origin. Giving everyone in the hallway a wide berth, Rass walked until he spotted the first engine. The system looked nothing like he expected. The Helios engine on the Brass Fox, what remained of her, was a cheap-looking replica of the older Windstrider model, but what he saw looked more like a giant metal sphere with glowing portholes large enough to walk through. Is that... Callie asked. The device was three times larger than the one the elders had placed Callie in. Something didn't add up. The knack visions told him the sphere fed directly to the encased Helios engine, but nothing fed into the sphere. Rass placed his face up against the porthole to see why. A convergence floated inside. The gun is useless, Rass said, pulling Dr. O's pistol out from his waistband. But you're not, Elias said. You can dissipate it. He looked around at the engineers, who were slowly turning their heads toward the fast-talking trio, and pointed a pistol at them as a warning. You can't destroy a convergence with a collection system. What are you talking about? Callie asked. I fed off a convergence for a while before you were born. Mom told me, Rass said. But what I didn't tell her was that it didn't fall apart until I brought her too close to it. Did you get close enough to the convergence you destroyed? Rass remembered the convergence in framers, then the one that he and Callie had swung through before it brought down the Halifax. It didn't matter that he tried to collect the convergence at framers. Just being close enough to it did the trick. I'm the gun. Elias nodded. Rass flipped Dr. O's gun around and struck the porthole with a handle, cracking the glass. Wait, Elias said. I can't be this close to an open convergence without you by me. Don't move too quickly. Got it. Rass swung again, smashing the large pane of glass. With Callie and Elias clinging tight, Rass entered its sphere with the sound of a screaming choir. It's horrible, Callie said, burying her head in Rass's chest. The green sphere fluctuated, then with a gust, evaporated into invisible energy. What remained was a man burned head to toe, laying strapped into a gurney with wires and tubes feeding out of him. His eyes glowed a radiant green. Help me, the man said, choking. Let me die, please. They won't let me. Who? Callie asked, barely able to look at the marred visage. They, they said I would save Atmo, he said before beginning to convulse. Not like this. His convulsion stopped, and the klaxons began blaring out into the corridor. So this is how they make fuel, Elias said, pointing to the dead man's tubes. They siphon off knack overload before it can join a convergence. Helios engines run on pain, Rass said. He wondered how often the collective needed to replace knacks. How many people do you think know about this? Not enough, Elias said. Rass led Callie and Elias out from the sphere. He stared at the engineers in disgust as they began crowding around the formerly operational fuel-making device. The ship shuddered as one of the engines beneath them ground to a halt. Seven more. Another engine's down, a helmsman shouted to Foster Helios III. We're losing our fuel supply. Foster kept his gaze out the Winnower's command center window, watching the Elorian ships taking diving swipes at the balloons. Then send out a fresh set of knacks for it. Foster said. I won't have this mission failing because we forgot to swap our batteries. No, sir, the helmsman said. We're losing the next because the convergences are destabilizing. Convergences don't destabilize, Foster said, turning to glare at the officer. It was common knowledge. Of the hundreds of convergences the diver team had collected from the world below, they had never lost a single one. He walked over to the station showing eight lights with readouts next to each. Six green, two red. Son of a remnant. Orders, sir? Orders, sir? 
A third light on the console flipped from green to red and the winnower began to tilt. Release the lax squad.